Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Amateur Theology, the podcast of amateur ramblings by an occasionally coherent host, which is me, Ryan Galvin. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you however and whenever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, We're going to be discussing, well, I'm basically going to be just sharing my discoverings and views, or some of, of, small topic, the Bible. So not doing too big of a topic this time thought i'd not bite off too much yeah the bible why not let's let's ramble about the bible and certainly it's it's going to be something that even if you have never engaged in church or evangelicalism or how whatever you will have heard of the bible because the Bible has become such a big uh, book, uh, but also image and statement for our world. Very recently, we saw uh, current president Donald Trump do a photo shoot in front of a church holding a Bible. Why, why would he choose that book? Why wouldn't he choose a uh, an edition of Harry Potter? Why wouldn't he choose The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings? Excellent books. There is a reason why he was holding a Bible. And actually the power that that book holds in our world today is massive. So actually how we see it and how we talk about it and how we engage with it is critically important because our view of the Bible will shape how we see acts like that of Trump, as well as other people who preach and use the Bible to defend their views and share their way of viewing the world. If we don't have a robust way of giving weight and testing what they say, actually, we will have to ask ourselves really difficult questions when push comes to shove. And so I'm just going to be sharing a few things that I find helpful when confronted with the photo op by Donald Trump, or when I hear people preaching from the Bible, or anything like that. And I'm not wanting to to sound insincere and feel like everything people says every time someone references the Bible, that I have to go through this checklist and all that kind of stuff. I think there there is a gauge where we actually start. This becomes kind of second nature. But actually, I think it is important to safeguard ourselves from leaning in too much to something just because potentially it sounds right or it agrees with what we feel like 
and our opinion is goes back to when I was talking about biases in uh, one of the earlier episodes. Actually, we're more inclined to believe and go along with someone who is confident in how they share things. And also, if it's quite simple, we we have simple minds. We we don't like complexities and paradoxes. And actually, if something kind of makes sense, we're much more likely to go along with it. So being aware of these things and having these kind of questions and kind of awareness to ask ourselves, I think is very helpful um, for us to not get uh, stuck in something or in too deep in something that actually could be quite dangerous. So these can be hit or miss. You might find it really helpful. It might be not helpful at all, but we'll see where we go. And I think the first first point of call is to recognize that the word is not the Bible. It is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And so often we put the Bible in place of Jesus. We say, I have the word, the word says. Well, actually, the Bible says. And we've got to recognize that the Bible is written by human people. Jesus did not write a single word of the Bible. Now, you may have some pushback in terms of, well, actually, like the New Testament talks about um, the word being being inspired, the Bible being inspired. But I personally think and feel that the Bible being inspired still gives it weight, but it doesn't need to give it the same weight that Jesus speaking to us would have. I think it's very important that we recognize that the people writing the Bible were writing for a specific time, for a specific purpose, to a specific audience. And they would have had agendas for that. There's a reason we have four gospel accounts, because I think each author of the gospels were aiming in a specific direction. They were almost confronting a certain group of people maybe targeting a certain aspect of Jesus's ministry to get the point across. I think there's also a lot of recognition to say that a lot of the New Testament was directed for specific people, the letters that were written by Paul and a lot of other authors. were speaking to churches in a specific context in Corinth, in Rome. They're also speaking to churches going through different issues and going through different conversations and aspects of their church ministry and building and community. They had different communities and we've got to recognize that actually a word for them back then in a letter doesn't straight apply to us. We can't just pick and choose and kind of put that on us and go, yep, that, 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 that fits with me or that sounds about right. That kind of joins the dots. So I'm always aware of the, the place that potentially someone holds the Bible and whether that place should be reserved for Jesus. And I think 
having a Jesus lens on the Bible and on whoever is sharing their view of the Bible, I think is really helpful. And this basically just means that we look at what they're saying and whether this is something that we feel like Jesus would say or would Jesus do this. I remember wearing the classic WWJD bands, What Would Jesus Do? And actually, the the reality is that is a good potentially hermeneutic or a way of seeing things that actually might help us when weighing things that we see, things that we hear. So, for example, the photo up with Donald Trump. Would we see Jesus standing outside of a church holding a Torah for a photo opportunity, having tear-gassed protesters protesting the injustice that they see in the world. I don't think we would see Jesus doing that. I would argue that Jesus would be one of the protesters protesting the injustice. And again, with preachers, if they are preaching something that actually we don't resonate with what Jesus would say about this topic, maybe about money, maybe about the poor or the vulnerable in our communities. Jesus has so much to say on those topics. So having a Jesus view or Jesus perspective when we read or listen to the Bible, I think is a really helpful starting point to actually gauge what this is, where this is, who's saying this, what context are they saying this in? I would personally put more weight on the gospel accounts than any other part of the Bible, personally, because I feel like the words of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus has resonance far more than the interpretation that potentially Paul has or Peter has. Because the reality is Paul in his letters is interpreting the ministry of Jesus to the people that he finds. I don't think Paul has everything right. I don't think anyone really has anything right in terms of what Jesus means when he says these things, what Jesus's ministry fully means. So actually, if we take Paul's words on something over Jesus's, I think we're in very hot water. But I think actually there are things that potentially Paul or Peter or other people will illuminate and help us see a different perspective, maybe have a different metaphor for something, give their understanding of something. But I think then giving it the same weight as potentially Jesus's words, I think is is tricky. And that gets me on to the second kind of question to ask. And that is, what genre is this book? Because the reality is the Bible is a collection of books. The Bible isn't one book in and of itself. It is a collection of multiple books with multiple genres. And there are some genres that you would not interpret literally. Now, this, again, is a little difficult because I know people have a very literal reading of the Bible. And there are places when that makes sense. The Gospel accounts, for example... A lot of that is narrative about Jesus and the disciples and his ministry and what he says and what he does. 
makes sense to have a literal interpretation of that. But then if we look back and read the Psalms or the Proverbs, having a literal interpretation of some of these, I think, is potentially unwise and gets us into sticky ground. We all know the story and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says this story. He doesn't share this story as a literal, factual story. He, there isn't a literal Good Samaritan. He is sharing it as a, if you would, the hare and the tortoise, the classic tale that everyone knows that didn't literally happen. But it shares a truth to us about the world, potentially. So the hare and the tortoise is the classic, um, even though you may start out really fast. Actually, if you plod on and commit and continue to pursue something, actually, those that started off way ahead, if they get lazy, actually, we will, in the end, overtake them and succeed. Would be potentially a reading of the hare and the tortoise, uh, if you would. And again, I think Jesus' parables invite us to read a truth within those words. And I think there is a lot of that in the Old Testament. I think the book of Job is very much one of those almost parabolic books in the fact that we have this story almost given to us about a man called Job. And you have this courtroom scene where Satan says, oh, let me let me test Job. And God agrees to this. And all these things happen to Job. And I think if we read that literally, we have to start asking ourselves quite difficult questions like, does Satan really actually convince God to test Job? If Satan did that once, what would stop him doing it again? And therefore, would God also allow Satan to do that to us and to more people? And can he convince God otherwise for other things? And would God be really good if he allowed Satan to continue to manipulate people? And all those kind of questions. Uh, with a literal reading of that book, we have to then ask ourselves because we're reading it in a way that invites those questions. But if we, if we read it in a parabolic sense, almost as a story in and of itself, then we actually read a deeper meaning potentially about the world, about suffering, about God. And we actually ask ourselves a lot deeper questions that aren't surface level, level potentially about the literal happenings of the story, but it invites us to ask questions of the world and could this be true and engages with suffering and how we perceive it and how we perceive God in that story and picture. And again, I would have personally a very poetic view of Genesis 1 in terms of how the world is created. If we have a very literal view of Genesis 1, then we have to do a lot of work 
going around and kind of engaging with a lot of scientific discovery, the Big Bang theory, the evolution theory, what does God mean by days, all those kind of questions. We then get stuck in that kind of dialogue of questions. But actually, if we see Genesis 1 as a poetic response, I would say, to the Babylonian creation story, we suddenly start asking ourselves a lot more interesting questions like, how does this share a perception of God? How does God view humanity? How does humanity view God in this? Because a lot of the Babylonian creation story is about um, humanity being created as slaves for the gods. And there's a lot of that in the uh, Greek, um, Greek readings and all that stuff. So again, we're, we're asking ourselves much more, more deeper and I think more interesting questions if we have a view of the genre that we're reading. So again, like the Psalms would be very poetic. And I think if we start reading them literally, we've got some passages like um, wanting God to bash babies' heads in and kill X, Y, and Z. I would be quite concerned if that was the case. Like, what's going on? Why is God doing this, that, and the other? But actually, if we start, if we read the Psalms as an expression of human experience in poetry, actually that allows us to engage in it in a different way and go, wow, have we ever experienced a time where I felt like I wanted to bash someone's head in? And suddenly we realize, yeah, actually there's, probably situations in my life where I really just got so annoyed, so annoyed. And actually the Psalms then suddenly engage us in an experience of, and, a, and a way of processing life in a completely different way. And the Bible doesn't become this um, all authoritative book that we have to continually serve, but actually it becomes a guide for us in everyday life just like the Psalms, just like Jesus guides us in everyday life as a shepherd. Um, yeah, so those are the two. I mean, uh, I would say those are the two probably most important things for me um, in terms of how I perceive the Bible. So they are that Jesus is the word and anything that comes from the Bible should be interpreted through Jesus I would call a Jesus hermeneutic. And then actually being aware of the genre at which you're either reading or hearing or being taught or anything like that, recognizing how am I reading this and how am I invited to reading this? What questions, maybe challenge yourself and look at a book in a different genre and go, what questions would I have to ask myself if I was reading this in a different way? Um, this doesn't say that the Bible doesn't bring truth. I think it actually speaks of a deeper truth if we read it in the way that the genre invites us to do so. Um, so do have fun with that. Challenge yourself and maybe read something in a different way. What questions come out, whether it engages in a different experience, um, what meanings and truths kind of come through the text and that kind of thing. So those are the two main things. I'll probably hit on some more in a later episode, but don't want to bore you too much. Um, so those are some things that might be helpful when looking at the Bible. And 
I hope you enjoyed that and find that useful. And have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Bye.